When I'm not hosting this podcast, I am writing books, but it is really hard for me to write when I'm at home, so I like to find remote cabins in the middle of nowhere to just hang out and write. But I hate the idea of my house just sitting empty, doing nothing but collecting dust and definitely not collecting checks. And that's why I'm an Airbnb host. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. Other popular side hustles are awesome too, don't get me wrong, but they often involve big startup costs. By hosting your space, you're monetizing what you already have access to. It doesn't get easier than that. And if you're new to the side hustle game and you're anxious about getting started, don't worry because you're not in this alone. Airbnb makes it super easy to host. I mean, if I could do it, you could do it. And your home might be worth a lot more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com host. I'm Nicole Lappin, the only financial expert you don't need a dictionary to understand. It's time for some money rehab. When I started making fun content about finance, we weren't even calling it content back then. And also, everyone thought I was crazy. It sounds unbelievable now, but when I left my comfy job as a TV news anchor to write my first book, Rich Bitch, people told me it would flop unequivocally. They said money talk wasn't cool. They said money talk wasn't sexy and that I could not make a career teaching people about it. Thank God they were wrong. Cut to 2023 and not only have others joined me on this journey, but there's a whole term now for this category. Finfluencer. Money talk entering the mainstream is not only a good thing, it's a great thing. But the world of finfluencing has a dark side. There's nothing stopping literally anyone from creating an Instagram account and giving financial advice, even if they have no business doing so. Financial advisors can't just say they're financial advisors. They have to get a whole accreditation first. Shouldn't it be the same online? Today, I'm talking about this with one of my fave financial educators on Instagram, Vivian Tu. The reason I love Vivian is because she is actually qualified to be talking about this. She used to be a trader on Wall Street, and now she's helping people learn more about their money through her content, including, drumroll please, her first book, Rich AF, which you can pre-order now. Today, we talk about the financial advice, in quotes, that keeps us up all night, how to confirm if a financial educator is legit, and we also play a game of financial never have I ever that I think you should totally try at home. Vivian too, welcome to Money Rehab. Thank you so much for having me. So if somebody asks you what you do, how would you introduce yourself? Finish this sentence. I am a... Internet person. <laughs> I am the World Wide Web, actually. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I actually was really embarrassed at the beginning of doing your Rich BFF stuff to tell people that I was an influencer because I think when you think of the term influencer and you close your eyes, the first thing you think of is somebody who just takes pics in bikinis and doesn't necessarily provide that much value to others. And that's not to say... It's not important to have lifestyle influencers. I certainly follow a ton of them. But I think financial educator is probably a better term of what I like to consider my work. And the 10 second spiel is, you know, I am someone who creates content about personal finance, budgeting, saving, investing, and everything in between, who encourages you to have money conversations with your friends. And a lot of that content does live digitally. So whether that be through social media, my podcast, or my upcoming book. And how do you feel about the term finfluencer specifically? So I don't love that term because when I think of the term finfluencer, it's two words, right? Finance influencer. And 
what are you doing? You're influencing people to buy specific investments. That seems really shady and sketchy. And I think the term influencer encompasses a lot of the bad behavior and bad advice that I was trying so hard to debunk when I started Your Rich BFF. I love, love, love what you do because you were on Wall Street. You know what to teach. But, you know, I know you were seeing this type of thing, too, when you left your Wall Street job behind. So what are some of the examples that were like most egregious content that you saw? Funny enough, it's very self-serving material that really pisses me off. So people who talk about whole life insurance being the end-all, be-all investment. If you're not investing in whole life, you don't want infinite banking. You don't want generational wealth. And like, I hate to break it to you, but whole life insurance is not a good investment for everybody. Frankly, I wouldn't even categorize it as an investment. It's life insurance. The upfront fees are so damn high that it really doesn't actually make sense for people who don't already have a lot of money. People use whole life insurance with the cash benefit as a way to diversify. It's a cash preservation strategy. It's not a growth strategy. So when people are like, yeah, this is the best investment possible, it's like, really? Because you could be investing that same money in just a standard index fund that tracks the S&P 500, makes so much more in gains over 40 years. And you could just buy term life if you need a death benefit to make sure your loved ones are taken care of. So I think there are better strategies than some of the ones touted. I would also say what really frustrates me is when people are like, you should listen to me because I'm a finance expert. Okay. What makes you an expert? Because when I say I'm a Wall Street girly, I didn't just walk onto Wall Street one day. Like I had to sit and test for my Series 7, my 63, my 55, because I worked in equities, which is the stock space. I had to take six months worth of training just to do my job. And for someone to sit there and act like your guess is as good as mine, it's not. The way we talk about things, the way our fundamental understanding of the financial services space is very different. And it's really frustrating when people give advice and aren't qualified to do so. Listen, I'm not a registered investment advisor. I don't talk to retail investors. I was working with hedge funds, asset managers, big, big, big money, high net worth individuals. So I don't ever pretend to be someone who has worked with individual clients. When people are like, can we do a one-on-one? I'm like, no, no, no. I don't charge for one-on-ones because what I'm trying to do is educate. I don't offer services. I don't sell a course. I don't do any of that stuff because I think the people that do have kind of given it a really bad name. And I think in order to really explain this stuff, you have to really know it first. They look at it and they say like, oh, you can just throw a bunch of swear words and like some crazy graphics and make it sexy and cool. It's like, no, the way The Daily Show works and the reason that that's funny is because those writers know the news so well that they can make fun of it. It's like you have to know this space so well before you can start democratizing it. You have to understand the language or the rules before you break them. And so I think that's an important part that hasn't translated. And there's, you know, no regulation. If somebody's scrolling on TikTok and they see a creator talking about finance in some really enticing way because the TikTok algorithm is like crack, how do you make sure it's legit? Yeah. One thing that is so important for every single person to be able to do is their own due diligence. So when you hear something or learn about something on the internet, 
in the form of a 60 to 90 second video, go ahead and assume not every single important detail can be covered in 60 to 90 seconds. You can then go and use this amazing thing we have called the Google machine and literally type in the words that you've just learned about. Things that you want to explore more, whether that be tax hacks, whether that be certain investment accounts that have benefits based on what you're using that money for, whether that be certain types of budgeting formats that might work best if you have inconsistent income or someone who gets paid on a infrequent basis, but cuts massive checks. Like There are so many things that you can just double check by going onto the internet and seeing if verified sources, if reputable brands have published something similar. So whether that be seeing if, you know, CNN or the Wall Street Journal or Bloomberg or any news network, frankly, has confirmed what you're hearing is really, really important because unfortunately, like you mentioned, the TikTok algorithm is crack. It does oftentimes reward the worst behavior because the algo can't tell the difference between a comment that's like, yay, this is awesome versus this is wrong. If a ton of people comment on some 14-year-old boy's video being like, hey, what you're saying is actually wrong, trying to inform him or something along those lines, like that still gets pushed as engagement. And so the more and more people that are outraged that something so egregiously incorrect could be put on the internet, that only feeds the fire. And then you end up with a video that's gotten 13 million views and is wrong. Yeah. So the algorithm optimizes for popularity and not accuracy. Correct. Which makes me want to bang my head against the wall. I've talked to a bunch of financial services companies and brands. And yeah, and I went through like the CFP program and got a bunch of alphabet soup stuff. And I take this really, really seriously. Like I lose sleep to make sure that we're doing the right thing and the trusted thing because it's so important. Yes, also supplements are important, but this is like your money. Like I want it to be fun and sexy, but not too fun and sexy. Like I don't want to gamify my money. And I think there should be some sort of regulation. Do you think that's realistic? I really do think that there should be some sort of regulation. So it's different if you buy a $12 lip gloss that sucks versus putting your money, all of it into one investment that ends up being a pump and dump scheme. I think the risks are just very, very different. You know, the FTC currently controls all advertising. So you have to have, what is the phrase, clear and conspicuous disclosures. So I'm always very careful when I'm working with brand partners to be like, at the brand, hashtag ad. So it's very clear when something is an ad. And if we're on a platform that allows you to tag them or paid partnership or what have you, I'm always using those toggles. But when it comes to money, I do think there should be an added level of regulation or an added end card or something that you need to put on. And oftentimes I do, even though I'm not required to, because it's someone's livelihood that you are discussing. I do think that whether it be the FTC or in particular the SEC should step in and there should be more regulations about finance content. Listen, if you want to go to the SEC with me, (laughs) I am so down. We should have like a roundtable with Instagram and TikTok and the SEC. It's true. And when I was at CNBC, you'd have to do your disclosures so you don't talk your book or like experts wouldn't talk your book. Can you explain what that means? So when people are talking their book, it essentially means they are 
positively talking about investments that they personally hold or have some sort of positive financial gain to be had. So say I buy a ton of stock A, and then I'm like, oh, I'm going to go on Nicole's podcast and talk about how amazing stock A is. Obviously, then people are going to go buy stock A, but I already have stock A. So that stock price is likely going to go up. I will be in a better financial position. I have something to gain by saying all of those things. And when you have the type of reach and platform that you and I have, we have to be really mindful about conflicts of interest. We have to be really mindful about talking our own books. I totally agree. Like I really am becoming more and more passionate. So the the offer was half a joke, but half serious to try and figure (laughs) it out because I worry like I think there should be an added level beyond the lip gloss of what all of these folks who say they're finfluencers or fin talk or fin whatever the fuck like (laughs) should put on there because otherwise I think it's really reckless. Yeah. And then to talk about a very specific example, FTX, frankly, I haven't seen many of the influencers who were vehemently advocating for that platform. Want to be clear, I never did. Same. Or NFTs or any of that. Yeah, no, none of that shit. But I haven't seen apology messages come out from a lot of those people who were really, really promoting a brand like FTX that really were people just like lost all of their money and they're going to have to wait through bankruptcy court. Maybe they'll get pennies on the dollar one day, but for now that's gone. And that's sad because that could have been somebody's retirement fund. That could have been someone's vacation money. That could have been the money they were saving for a house, for a car, for a wedding, what have you. Like that is someone's livelihood. And frankly, I find it really disappointing. I think some of those really, really big name celebrities are being held accountable I think they're part of the class action or whatever, the plaintiffs and that suit. But like, I think anybody who had anything to do with that situation should first and foremost apologize and be like, listen, I didn't know. I didn't have access to this information. I did with that what I could say that. But also, you know, there should be financial remuneration of some sort. Agreed. I think at the crux of this, and the algorithm optimizes for this too, is this idea that there is an easy fix. Like it's been since the early days of stocks that there is a get rich quick idea and people are fascinated and tantalized and think like you can skip all these steps and like just get rich. Do you think that's what is being optimized or proliferated as well? Yes, but two notes I will make. First and foremost, the very first video I made went viral. And the reason it went viral, I think in a large part was because I said, I'm going to be honest with you. I don't have a get rich quick scheme. They don't fucking exist. But if you want to learn about personal finance, follow me. And that really was the video that like kicked off this entire thing. What I will say is our parents and frankly, us have been peddled a myth that if you do all the right things, you can have everything. So you are a good student in high school. You get into a good college. You get that degree, you get that job, you get to have the two and a half kids golden retriever white picket fence house with the tire swing out front. That used to be possible. You could have a single breadwinner family, have a single family home with your kids, what have you, send them to college. It was possible. I will say the younger version of millennials, I would say I fall into that category as well as Gen Z. They have never seen a economic system that's worked. They did all the right things. They followed the rule book. 
And now they're coming out of these schools with six figures in student loan debt. Houses are 3x in price. Education is 10x in price versus the generation before them. And they're really just feeling disenfranchised. So I get the desire to get rich quick. I think a lot of people are also preying on that desire because they know that a lot of these young people don't see happy retirement or a happy adult life as a possibility or reality for themselves. So they're trying to take advantage of that. And it's just honestly kind of messed up. Because your first video was viral, does that show you that there is appetite for get rich slow content? I do. I think there's a severe hunger for true financial literacy education because for so long we haven't taught it. In particular, I speak to an audience that's primarily women, people of color, LGBTQ community members, people who grew up low income. Basically, none of the people that you could find watching CNBC, aka Male Pale Stale. So like, I think when people are like, oh, finally, someone who looks like me, who talks like me, who wears a cute little pink t-shirt like me and feels like a friend versus like a professor giving a lecture, they want to listen. They want to do the right thing. People are going to try to build the best life that money can buy for themselves. And they want that information, but it is sometimes hard because people ask me all the time, what should I be investing in? And when I actually give a legitimate breakdown of like, here are some great options, that video never goes viral. Let me tell you, that video gets like 50 views, maybe. The videos that do go viral, I'm like, this is what you should do if you win the lottery. Do you know how many people win the lottery? A handful, if that. And how you can take a section 179 write-off if you own a business and depreciate 80% of your car in the very first year, and it has to be over 6,000 pounds. Like That information is cool. I do think it's important to talk about because it makes finance fun. But damn, do I really wish the more boring stuff would go viral too? Yeah, of course. Let's talk about it. What do you wish would have gone viral? Why can't we talk about the 50-30-20 method and make that just as fun to talk about as pop culture? Because that works for most people. And it is the easiest jump off point to start a budget where you put 50% of your after-tax take-home pay towards needs, 30% towards wants, and 20% towards saving, debt pay down, and investing. That is the easiest jump-off point. And a lot of people don't know about it. And I think more people should. When I made a video about it, nobody watched it. But I get that it's not as sexy as these amazing secret tax write-offs. Like, I get that. But I think it's important. Hold on to your wallets. Money Rehab will be right back. Do you ever get FOMO, fear of missing out? Well, do you ever get FOMO Tupita, fear of missing out on the perfect hire? If so, I have the antidote. It's LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn Jobs helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In any given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites, and that adds up to a serious squad of awesome candidates. LinkedIn has over a billion professionals on the platform, and these candidates are super qualified. So much so that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within just 24 hours. I work with LinkedIn Jobs for all of my dream 
team needs, so they're hooking up money rehabbers at linkedin.com slash MNN. Go there and you can post your job for free. That's linkedin.com slash MNN, as in Money News Network, to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Money rehabbers, you have money hidden in your house. Yeah, just hiding there in plain sight. Okay, so I don't mean you have gold bars hidden somewhere in walls, treasure map style, but you do have a money-making opportunity that you're just leaving on the table if you're not hosting on Airbnb. It's one of my all-time favorite side hustles. By hosting your space, you are monetizing what you already own. It doesn't get easier than that. For me, hosting on Airbnb has always been a no-brainer. When I first signed up, I remember thinking to myself, self, you pay a lot of money for your house. It is time that house returned the favor. And to get real with you for a sec, I felt so much guilt before treating myself on vacation because traveling can be so expensive. But since hosting on Airbnb, I feel zero stress for treating myself to a much needed vacation because having Airbnb guests stay at my house when I'm traveling helps offset the cost of my travel. So it's such a win-win. I mean, if I could do it, you could do it. And your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. And now for some more money rehab. What is the process that you go through? Because it's more analytical. And I think that's important to remember for people who are looking at this as outsiders. I'm very fortunate because I have like a pretty deep bench of existing content. So I'll go through and see what topics, what intros, what formats really hit. And I'll have that in the back of my mind. Then for ideation purposes, I'll go through a bunch of news. And I mean, I'm a pretty voracious news reader. And then I'll pull certain articles that I'm like, these are topics that I want to discuss. These are the studies that they reference or the sources so that I know they're legitimate. And I then go and I filter through all of this news that I've now saved for myself and being like, what of this will my audience care most about? Then I would say about half of those news articles get purged because they're just not good enough for the BFFs. And the ones that hang on, I then look through, I'm like, what is the most engaging format through which I can convey this information? And then I go and I ideate, meaning I like write up the little scripts or at least an outline with talking points. So then I can have each of them set up. And I think people think I make like a new video every day. No, I have a blocked day where I film and I film one video and I take off my shirt and I put on a different shirt and I film again. I take off my shirt and I put on a different shirt. And then I have a reserve of a couple videos. So then I can slowly distribute them throughout the week. And then I also do all of my own editing. Yeah, your girl does her own stunts. So I have to edit. And I would say I largely use CapCut for that. But there's no fancy editor. It's just me and my thumbs. And I try the best I can. And it's worked out okay thus far. It's worked out great thus far. And I hear you on the like, I'm only going to put lashes on one time a week. You guys, <laughs> and that's it. All right, because we're both money nerds, I would love to play a game of financial never have I ever. And we're going to put our fingers up and then we'll put a finger down if we've done something. Okay, ready? Let's do it. Never have I ever invested in crypto. I have a very, very, very small investment in Bitcoin and a very, very small investment in Ethereum. Just to watch funny money. If I lost 100% of it, it wouldn't be a problem. Yeah, I say keep it to no more than 1% of your net worth. Everybody has a net worth, not just rich folks. Yeah, I have a little bit of Bitcoin. All right, never have I ever maxed out a credit card. Oh, yeah. No, I haven't. Oh, wait, I don't put my finger down. Okay, yeah. (laughs) Never have I ever bought a house. I have. Never have I ever been in credit card debt. I have. 
I don't believe so. No. You put it down if you have, right? Yeah. I'm so bad at this game. <laughs> You're doing great. Never have I ever fought with a romantic partner about money. Oh, yes. <laughs> it wasn't a fight, but this dude told me on one of our first dates that he had five-figure credit card debt while also wearing a Rolex and Gucci shoes and a Ferragamo tie. And I was like, oh, bye. So we'll put that down because I did end things with that man. <laughs> All right. It may be not a fight in an animated discussion or just Correct. like a huge red flag. Okay. Never have I ever overdrafted. Oh, yeah. It wasn't even that I didn't have the money. I just didn't have a good cash management system set up. And then I was like, oh, shoot, I didn't know that this payment was hitting the same day as like whatever. And you got to be careful with auto pay because sometimes you don't got it like that. No. And overdraft protection, you think it's protection, but it's not. Never have I ever paid on a first date. I paid for my half. I've never paid for the full bill. <laughs> you don't think you've ever paid on a first date? I don't think I have. Wow. You know what, guys? That's goals right there. That is goals. <laughs> and it's not because I can't. It's because I don't want to. And that's oh, just what okay, I, I want. love that. Okay. Never have I ever signed a prenup. I haven't, but my fiance and I are getting one. And I have one ready to go for future Mr. Lappin. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> Never have I ever played the lottery. I have, but it was just for shits and giggles. It was for a birthday. We went and got a couple lottery tickets. Never have I ever been fired from a job. I have not. I haven't been fired for cause. Okay. Never have I ever treated myself to a six-figure gift. What about the house? The house was a gift. I don't have a car because I am relearning how to drive right now. It's incredibly humiliating as a 29-year-old telling people that. But, you know, I went to school in Chicago. There's four years. Then I moved to New York, six years. It's been a decade since I've been behind the wheel. So it's a little hard. I get nervous when I'm changing lanes or merging or turning or going straight. I just, I don't like any of it. Listen, I have car trauma too, so I get it. Never have I ever negotiated a raise. Oh, we definitely have. Never have I ever paid for a friend's airfare on a girl's trip. I haven't, but I would because I am very fortunate to be in a different financial position than most of my girlfriends now. They are all smarter than me. They got these fancy graduate degrees. One of them's going to be a surgeon. One of them's going to be an attorney. Well, one of them is a surgeon. One of them is finishing her last year in law school to just graduated and got their MBAs. Like they're all smarter than me. But I started working as soon as I graduated college and from my undergrad. And I have not stopped making money. You could not pay me enough to go back to school. You and me both. I did the case against the MBA and like what a scam it is. It <laughs> You know, people spend all this money on their brain. And then like I've spoken at MBA programs. I'm like, why am I talking at an MBA program? You guys are paying so much money for it. But that's cool. You are a good friend. I would do the same thing. All right. So I guess you won. Yeah, because I had one finger left. So I love it. Okay. You are a Wall Street girly after my own heart. I end all of our episodes by asking listeners for one tip they can take straight to the bank. I know you have so many, but what is one for today? This is a hardcore one, and it's a piece of advice that my mentor gave me, and she said this, you can only save as much as you earn, but you can always earn more money. And that has led me to basically encouraging everybody who follows me and just anybody I can meet is ask for a 10 to 15% raise every single year. Am I saying you're going to get it every single year? Probably not, but there's no harm in asking and 
frankly, if you go two years without getting a raise, without getting promoted or something along those lines, there has been a study that has shown over your lifetime, you will make 50% less than someone who job jumps every two years. So I think it's really important to remember two years is up or out. You either have to be getting a meaningful raise or you got to look externally to get paid more. At the end of the day, work is work. You do a job for money. Sure, you might like it. Sure, it's something that fulfills you, but you do work to make money so that you can have a happy life and support yourself. And you need to go wherever you're going to be able to do that best. All right, girl, I'll see you at the SEC. Yeah. (laughs) Should we wear matching outfits? Obviously. Money Rehab is a production of Money News Network. I'm your host, Nicole Lappin. Money Rehab's executive producer is Morgan Lavoie. Our researcher is Emily Holmes. Do you need some money rehab? And let's be honest, we all do. So email us your money questions, moneyrehab at moneynewsnetwork.com to potentially have your questions answered on the show or even have a one-on-one intervention with me. And follow us on Instagram at moneynews and TikTok at moneynewsnetwork for exclusive video content. And lastly, thank you. No, seriously, thank you. Thank you for listening and for investing in yourself, which is the most important investment you can make.